really organically, really like spontaneously. It's not just going in there and making a noise, folks. <laughs> the Classic Rock Files with Kelly Parker and Mike Young. Hi, Mike. Hi, Kelly. I don't know if you've listened to uh, Meltdown. I think it's called the Meltdown Podcast. Some good rock interviews in there. It's out of Detroit. Have you listened to it? They're decent interviews. They're not as good as some interviews, but uh, the guy picks my butt because he's the interviewer who calls himself Meltdown. He'll ask a question, and then he always ends up the question with, and stuff like that. It makes it almost unlistenable. Oh, he's got a quirk that you don't like. He's got a crutch. I hate that. He was talking to Tommy Shaw, though. He does get the big names, being in Detroit. And uh, they were talking about the progress of the writing and recording sessions for the follow-up to Styx's The Mission in uh, 2017. And apparently they've got a lot ready to go. They've been working on it. Yeah, the album, according to Tommy Shaw, is uh, all written, it's all ready to go, and of course it is the follow-up to the 2017 album, The Mission. That was Styx's first new LP of original music in 14 years, which seems kind of shocking considering uh, how long those guys have been a band and how much they seem to gel on stage with Lawrence Gowan, but now they're following up with an album that hopefully will see the light of day in 2020 if only they can get together and record the thing. Tommy Shaw said, uh, we're waiting on transportation from Texas. Lawrence Gowan has to get back into the country because he lives in Toronto, and we're working on all that stuff. The studio we use, Blackbird, is an amazing studio they've opened up. Megadeth is recording there now, so they all have their protocols in place, and now we just have to get Todd, Lawrence, Ricky, and James and we can lay it all down and get it mixed and ready to go. So reading that quote, the specific part about Lawrence Gowan jumped out to me because we've seen the sports leagues around the world be working with federal governments to try and get the necessary protocols in place where they can get around the flight bans that are in place. Right. Uh, for example, the NHL players living in Canada that are going to, if the playoffs resume, mm-hmm. are going to have to make it into the United States or the ba- baseball players, etc., you know, people that live outside the United States that is currently... Should those same exemptions be made for a musician? I mean, Lawrence Gowan is trying to work and make a living. Yeah. And he needs to get to the States to record. Obviously, protocols will be observed and all the pieces will be put in place to be, make it safe. But I don't think that athletes should be the only ones that are able to make a living and escape these rules. I think it all comes down to one thing as far as the government relaxing things, is how much money is there to be made? You've got your major sports leagues, which bring in billions of dollars, and there are lots of moving parts. You've got your TV networks, and you've got your owners and advertisers, and all of the money that's involved in that. And as you know, money talks. Uh, when you've got an album, even an album by a band with the uh, profile and legacy of Sticks, it's still just the music business. It's still just one album, and it's still just always with any music just being released on spec so i think probably it comes down to it may not be fair but i think it probably just comes down to how much money is on the line and for any musical act i think it's not going to be anywhere close to what a sports league would be i mean the music industry as a whole would bring in far more money than the nhl would in terms of concerts and Mm -hmm. tours and merchandise and all that stuff you know nhl has all their teams but they're paying all these players and you know so it's I mean, they're also a successful enterprise, the music industry, and they have lobbyists in Washington and in Ottawa that can lobby on behalf of whatever they want to do. So to say like, hey, can we get some exemptions for artists that, you know, will bring this list of names to you and they need to be able to travel to X place to 
do something for their job. Well, the other thing that comes into it as well is the way the music business works is once Styx is able to record this, when do they release it? You're probably not going to see the actual release until they can tour behind it and until there are concerts because it doesn't serve anybody, the music business or Styx or any other band, to release new music and not be able to tour behind it and sell it because that's where the music industry money is made. And then, of course, for bands, they're really only making their money on merch and touring right now anyway. So even if they had this ready, they can't present it like sports for example can be presented even if they're doing it from hub cities so i think that's probably the other thing as well yeah i think just them being able to get it done and get it finished and then have it like waiting in the wings so everything's you know we've got it printed we got it ready to go as soon as that tour is announced as soon as we can get back going we've got it ready to go to release yeah via digitally or the physical stores whatever the case may be well you know a lot of bands as well they record by email they just send each other files back and forth now whether sticks wants to be able to get in the studio and they have a different way to do it if they were really pressed and they really wanted to have something locked and loaded and ready to go there's always that option as well to get around the travel restrictions yeah i think some bands just don't function in that manner and they want to be in a space with each other there's nothing that can replace four guys being in a room together and just finding a groove and just starting to riff on that. I'm excited to see what they've done. Uh, again, the short turnaround, obviously they've, they're motivated to do some stuff. So I just wish that Gowan can jump on a plane and get down there, you know, but I don't think Lawrence Gowan going down to Texas to record an album is going <laughs> to make or break this pandemic. So. Yeah. Probably not going to move the needle at the government level, I don't think. Okay, System of a Down drummer, uh, John Dolmayan. Speaking of uh, sticks taking, what, 14 years or whatever it was between uh, albums before they've had this kind of recent upswing in their productivity, uh, he's currently promoting These Gray Men, which is his new solo album, and he talked to a Los Angeles radio station about the band's stalled attempts to record a follow-up to its Mesmerize and Hypnotize LPs, which came out in 2005. And he was asked about a hypothetical new system studio album and what that would sound like, and here's what he had to say. Well, I think that had we made an album every three to four years, you would have seen an incredible growth and expression come out of system. It's a, it's a sadness for me that we never really fully met our potential and probably never will. Even if we release an album now, you can't get back the years that you did nothing in. And I think if you talk to some of the other members in my band, they don't look at it that way because they weren't idle necessarily. But the bottom line is that uh, although you can do something on your own, even with my solo album, These Great Men, I didn't have the benefit of the three other guys in my band who were so instrumental in developing the sound that I've come to be accustomed to. The, uh, the song quality, the writing styles, the lyrical content. I mean, everybody brought something unique to System of a Down. And the bottom line is, uh, when you go you do your own project, you're going to do the best you can to make it great, but you don't have the benefit of the talent of the other people that were in your band with you. And I think uh, each of our solo projects are poor for it, although there's a lot of positive and good content coming out of each of us individually. It still, it still pales in, in comparison to what we could have accomplished together. But that's neither here nor there. It's not something that's in my power. My band is stupid, and we're going to continue to be stupid, I guess. Uh, but we're not alone. You know, Tool was stupid for a long time, and Rage Against the Machine has been for quite some time, too. A lot of things jump out at me from that quote. One, whoever mixed that interview should be fired. I'm so sorry people had to listen to that background music jumping up every time there would be a pause between words. 
Hey man, it's horrible LA. Horrible production. It's LA. It's um, probably it's got to be the best. Well, that's not the best. <laughs> I would argue it's the opposite of the best. Uh, but getting to the content of the interview, the first thing that jumped out to me there was that he says specifically about his solo project, you're going to do the best you can to make a great, but you don't have the benefit of the talent of the other people that were in your band with you. And I think each of our solo projects are poorer for it. Mm-hmm. So we've seen Serge Tonkian, we've seen uh, now John Dolmayan release solo albums. Uh, Darren Mullican as well has released a solo album. And he's basically saying, like, if we could have just all got together and recorded music, like, we would have had a stronger product in the end because we're all such unique voices that really work well together with their yeah. ideas. This is a band that released five albums in eight years from 1998 to 2005 mm-hmm. and now hasn't released anything for 15. So it's right. so prolific in their short period, eight years of recording. Uh, the fan base that they have is monstrous that these guys can pull in near 100,000 fans headlining festivals yeah. you know, in, in Europe specifically. There's two parts to that, though. Yes, on the one hand, I think the point you're making is if, and what he might be saying is if they had just sort of pooled the energy they put into all these solo things and done a system album, uh, that it could have been better than all of the solo albums. But then you've got the other side of it where, you know, as he says, there's all these different kind of styles and tastes that these guys have. And so they also have to have a way to exercise those as well. So in there, there had to have been, there would have had to have been solo albums anyway. So maybe they've only got a finite amount of energy. And that's what I really don't understand, specifically about this project, because he mentions Tool and Rage Against the Machine. Now, the Rage Against the Machine guys, of course, they hinge on Zach De La Roca. Mm-hmm. wanting to do this. He does his own thing, marches to the beat of his own drum. Those other three guys went on to form Audio Slave when Rage Against the Machine broke up. Then they formed Prophets of Rage. They, they've stuck together as a unit, and it's right. just Zach comes and goes, and then when they just do Rage Against the Machine stuff. So there's one intangible there that causes them to have to break from Rage. Right. If it right. were up to them, they would have kept going with Rage for all those years. Right. Um, when it comes to System of a Down, you have these you mentioned you have these solo projects that allow you to do whatever you want mm-hmm. you know break free of anything hampering you within system of a down any of the things you had to make concessions about take your ideas and execute them how you want them mm-hmm. and they've all had that opportunity i just don't understand why you can't yeah. go back to the unit and just compromise on stuff because well, you have those outlets where you can do your own thing but just for the fans sake i know stop being such babies about it <laughs> and get back in the studio and make something now obviously when you do a solo album you get used to that mm-hmm. feeling of like i've got full creative control here and i know what's best i was gonna say compromise is that first of all you're talking about artists you're talking about rock stars you're talking about compromise a lot of those things don't go together a lot it's fascinating how it works and we've seen so many bands fall into this trap sure they just can't work together and they have to take a long extended break or things you know replace a member of the band or yeah anything like that and it, it sucks for the fans because the fan i mean you yes the artists make the music but the fans are the ones that made you a thing that exactly. allowed you to continue to make that music well how many times have we talked about the fact that it's just amazing to any of us that these bands ever stay together because there are so many moving parts yeah, I mean, all, kudos to the bands that have. Finally here, former Guns N' Roses and current Sons of Apollo guitarist Ron Bumblefoot Thal will uh, release a new acoustic EP of cover songs, Barefoot 3, which, interestingly, follows up Barefoot 2. which oh, was, and I imagine Barefoot 1 was not far behind That those. was the first one, I believe, yeah. yeah. Was uh, it called Barefoot or just Barefoot 1? I don't know. I would have to look that up. I think it was probably just Barefoot. So this wasn't, you're saying this wasn't a planned trilogy. (laughs) Again, we'd have to look this up, but uh, if it was a planned trilogy, then you want to call that one number one.
Maybe it's like Star Wars where they went back afterwards yeah. and added the episode four into A New Hope's Crawl. Yeah, it could have been that as well. <laughs> In any case, intricate guitar arrangements, big backing vocals, the uh, tunes on this one. And we've got a sample of a few of them here, but Tiny Dancer, Elton John, The Day I Tried to uh, Live, Soundgarden, Only Time Will Tell, Asia, Dexy's Midnight Runners, uh, Tell Me Something Good, Rufus and Shaka Khan, an acoustic cover as well. So here's what some of that sounds like. I'm sorry, I could, I've never been able to stand Dexy's Midnight Runners or that song, and I'm sorry, I just couldn't do it. I like the video. I remember it from pop-up video growing up. Yeah. Those overalls, man. I know. Really enjoyed that. Put your pant legs down. Your ankles are cold. I've always known uh, Bumblefoot has had a... He's a great guitar player. Yeah. If you uh, recall, he was in Guns N' Roses uh, replacing Buckethead in 2006. Played with them until 2015, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Much like... Josh Klinghoffer with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, when he was removed from Red Hot Chili Peppers to welcome back John Frusciante, mm -hmm. he always, he said basically the same thing that Bumblefoot said, is like, I wish I could have done more to show you that I'm a fit with this band, you know? He yeah. almost blames himself, and Bumblefoot said, I wanted it to be something that I knew it wasn't ever going to be. If Slash wanted to come back, that was his spot. Yeah. And he would be gone. If you're always a placeholder, you know that. That's got to be a tough position And there's to nothing be in. you can do, no matter how good you are, because, I mean, pound for pound, Bumblefoot could be a better guitar player than Slash. Oh, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. You know he's Based a, on some of the stuff on this. He's oh, amazing. He's great. And uh, But that's just not in the cards ever for you. you know, yeah. Slash, it's Slash's spot. You're holding it until he wants to come back. Yeah. Um, amazing I, his vocals, too. He oh, sounds a lot like Miles Kennedy. And what impressed me the most is just the high stuff he's hitting, especially on the Soundgarden cover, The Day I Tried to Live. Like, those are exact Oh yeah. on to uh, Cornell's high notes on yeah. those. Like, obviously his voice is being really pushed to the limit, but does a great job with Tiny Dancer, Day I Tried to Live, mm -hmm. and especially on uh, Come On Eileen. Like, again, he's hitting those notes and covering a wide range mm -hmm. of different types of music. Check it all out. It's on his Bandcamp page. It's not on Spotify. Uh, I'm sure you might be able to find it on YouTube as well, but... He's a cool guitar player. I managed to see him when Guns N' Roses did play when they came through. Uh, Sebastian Bach opened up the show, if you mm -hmm. remember. And I love that version of the band. Live, fantastic. So, yeah, he was great filling in Slash's parts. I mean, Slash is all about the look, right? When you're on stage, that top hat and seeing him there. Yeah. But anyone can put their tone to sound like Slash and close your eyes and he's there, you know? Close, to, yeah. To me, when you see him in a live atmosphere, but it's just like you open your eyes and... There he is, the top hat, the leather jacket. He's so goddamn cool. For me, it comes down to the branding here. You've got Slash, okay, great name, great brand. Then you got Bumblefoot. Bumble's right in the name. Like, I, I think that's a terrible nickname, and I think that's hindered him. I preferred Buckethead, who he replaced in Guns N' Roses. Sure. I mean, he's a sight to be seen because he's wearing, uh, you know, a blanked-out white mask with a 
KFC bucket on his head. So. Yeah. But again, that's a very visual yeah. thing. You can understand that Bumblefoot here just indicates maybe there's a bumble happening. I think he's uh, held himself back, stunted his progress. You think he needs more of a hat gimmick? Maybe a hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe a watering can. Like a pork can. pie hat, maybe. Or something like that, yeah. I can't come up with the perfect thing right now, but I think that would be my suggestion. That is the Classic Rock Files. 94.3 The Drive Music Director, Mike Young. Thank you. Thank you.